So I don't know if y'all followed this news story. It was about 18 months ago, and I don't, and I don't even know how it ended. Um, you know, the news does that a lot. There's a big story, and you're like, oh, man, and you never hear about it again. It was North Austin, Round Rock. Some people found out they're living in a neighborhood, home, built, you know, some of them, their retirement home. And a cave opened up right outside their neighborhood. Do you remember anybody reading any of this? Yeah. So afterwards, fill me in if anybody, like, fell in, because I don't know. Uh, but this cave opened up. And, and people were on edge, which is understandable because it's the biggest investment of, of your life, your home, and, and you're just minding your own business. And all of a sudden, really almost everything you have is in danger. I mean, could you imagine like coming home from work and like pulling up and your house being gone? <laughs> they, they said the cave was 22 feet deep. That's a two-story building and 200 feet long, two-thirds of a football field. I mean, I mean, you walk up home and you're like, you look down into this 22-foot hole and there's your house. Like that would be, I, my, my mind can't even fathom that, right? Or if you, even, even worse, if you'd been in the home, minding your own business, cooking dinner, doing something, and all of a sudden the ground underneath you starts to shift and you, you had no idea what was happening right around you. Right? Wouldn't that, that be like blow your mind when you think about being in that situation? I think for us, we get so caught up, and teenagers do this for sure, but we do too, in what we can see, hear, feel, touch, kind of what's in our own world, that sometimes we forget that there are other things happening all around us. There's, there's a whole nother world happening next door. There's a whole nother world that, that, that you're not paying attention to that, that is happening around you because we get so caught up in just what's, what's right here kind of our circle that we can draw around us. And, and we forget sometimes that there's other things happening. Now, that, that happens really all the time. You, you, you've seen examples of it. I, I saw an example driving home this week. I was coming from the church down 29. And about the end of the day, the traffic gets like jam-packed. Like you, you go through the one stoplight by Wolf Ranch and you, you can barely get to the stoplight before you can get all these cars. Out. And I get on the right lane. It goes a little bit faster because I live south. And as I'm going slow, the left-hand lane is completely stopped. There's a, there's a guy and his door's open and he is standing outside of his car in the middle of 29 and he is yelling and screaming at the car behind him. I mean, it's one of those like, hey, this is, this is the where I stand your ground rule. We're about to be in the news, like, you know, type experience. This guy's, I mean, you can tell he's irate. And I'm driving, so I don't get to see a whole lot of him. I'm driving slow enough to see that I, I also catch a glimpse of the people in the car that he's yelling at. And it's like deer in the headlight, shell-shocked. Like they're like just staring like we don't know what's going on. And then I, I passed on by. And I don't know what happened, but I've got an idea because things like this happen all the time. Here's what I think possibly could have happened. Traffic is heavy. The guy is in, the, in his car and he is texting somebody. He's doing something. The cars in front of him start to move forward. And there's a gap now. The people behind him know that there's a gap happening. And so what do they do? They give him the horn. Beep, beep. He drives forward, gets out of his car. How dare you honk at me? Starts yelling at them again. I don't know if this is what happened, but I could see it happening this way. And they're like standing there holding the, the steering wheel going, oh, we just wanted him to move forward. Like, you know what? And he's yelling and screaming. Now, here's what, if that scenario did happen or could have happened, here is also what probably happened. People in the back, the second car, Here's what's happening in their life. I'm driving home. I'd like to get home. I don't like traffic. 
there's some space up ahead. This guy's not paying attention. Let me remind him so he can move forward and we'll all move about our day. That's their world. What they can see, hear, touch. But what they don't know is that right in front of them, that where their world is about to collide with, a guy's looking down at his phone and he just got an alert from the bank that says that his, his, his uh, account is overdrawn. And for some reason, because, you know, the bank's the first person to know that you run out of money, and then they, then they charge you for it. <laughs> right? Is that absurd to anybody else? Like, I want to call the bank and go, you're the one that told me I don't have any money. Like, how am I supposed to pay you 25 bucks now? But it gets, gets this, like, uh, overdrawn. And what we also don't know is his world. He's just had a major knockdown, drag-out, yelling fight with a coworker that his manager overheard, and he may be fired. And he's going home to a, a marriage that is in trouble. And he's got some family members that are sick. And his world is going crazy. And he just gets the overdraft notice. And then what was literally a beep-beep in his mind sounds like a... And he snaps. You've experienced things like that, right? I mean, your world comes colliding with someone else's world and, and, and an emotional explosion happens and you're sitting there going, what did I do? It wasn't what you did. You just happened to be the last straw that broke that camel's back, right? We're oblivious so many times that, there, that, that there's worlds around us that are happening that we don't know. Now, and here's where we're going with Job. The Bible is clear in multiple places, that there is a spiritual world. That there's a spiritual realm. And that there is, the Bible talks about spiritual warfare. There, there's spiritual warfare that goes on around us all the time. But for most of us, we're oblivious to it because we don't see it very well, hear it, or feel it. And so you got up this morning and you got ready to come to church and there was some kind of controversy at home or something like that or uh, kids didn't get up on time or car didn't start or whatever and, and it's the see hear and feel what i can touch and I, this is all i think that's happening and we respond to that when in reality it's a it's a very real possibility that there are other factors at play another world around us a spiritual world where there is warfare being waged things happening the bible talks and i don't mean to freak you out if this is the first time you come to a church thing but the Bible talks about angels and demons and God and the devil, and they're very real. And they're not just like having heavenly Starbucks coffee this morning. Like just, man, the world's spinning what's happening today. The Bible's clear there's this spiritual world that's happening, but so often we're clueless to that because we're only focused on kind of what's right in front of us. So my question I want to ask you is this, what if, what if there is right now a war being waged, a literal war all around you, not in your, where you can see, feel and touch it, but a war for your kids. What if there's a war being waged right now while we're sitting in circles and talking and there's a battle going on for your marriage or your neighbors, people you work with, your kids, friends, Anybody wake up this morning and go, you know what, I'm up. Lord, I'm ready for the day, and I know there's a war going on, and I'm going to start praying people up. I didn't, and I wrote the message. Like, I got up and went, okay, we got to get things cleaned up in here. We got to get kids going. We start doing our thing, but there's literally this, this war going. And, and for some of us, we're walking along, and we don't know it. It's like this neighborhood where there was an earthquake, and the ground is moving underneath us, and it's about to open up, and we're busy making lunch, and we have no clue that the world around us is about to do 
something different. So when we get into Job, we're going to look at, again, 40, 40 chapters. Um, we're not, again, we're not hitting 40. We're going to hit four weeks. We're going to ask that you guys kind of read through some of this, and I'll give you a plan for that. But um, Job teaches us a lot. If you grew up in the church, you, you probably hear the word, the word Job, think about the Bible character. You think of suffering, right? I mean, if you read the chapter of the book of Job or you've heard sermons on it, you know that Job is all about suffering. Job's also about faith, though. It's how, how to live as a follower of God through suffering and have faith. In fact, as we read these first couple chapters, we're going to have to step out on faith. We're going to read a story about a conversation between God and Satan. Doesn't happen very often in the Bible to read things like that. And so you might ask a question, well, like, who recorded that? Who wrote that down? Like, that's kind of questions that I ask when I'm reading. I'm like, well, okay, I don't know who wrote the book of Job, but I don't think they were there when God and Satan were. So how did this story come to be? So we step out into faith as we understand scripture, but here's where we come. We, we can accept this story as truth because it comes to us from the inspired word of God where the other stories, the other things that are verifiable and that we can go back and prove because we just can't prove God and Satan had a conversation. We can't, nobody videotaped it. You know, we can't prove that. So we step out in faith. But all the other things in scripture that we can prove and it holds up that we go, man, because this, this is legit. I'm gonna, I can easily put my faith here. It, it looks like this. If you and I are good friends and I've never lied to you and I'm a person of integrity and you trust what I say and I come and I say, hey, I was out at the coast uh, the other day and, and I was fishing and I caught, uh, this happened in Corpus the other day, I caught a 15-foot hammerhead shark. And you went, well, you don't like the ocean and you don't like sharks. I'm not, that, that would be like kind of a, a big fish story, you know. If we have a relationship and I've never lied to you, you you're not going to go, I, don't, I think he's not telling the truth about the shark. Because of all the other things in my life that I've shared with you have proven to be true, you will trust the story that might be a big fish story. And so we read scripture and we see all these things that we can, archaeology, uh, experts go back and go, hey, you can trust all of these things in scripture and there's verifiable proof of things. So we get to a story where God and Satan are talking. We go, what? We accept it because we trust the rest of scripture. So that's where we're going to go. So it talks about suffering, it talks about faith, and this picture is going to teach us this in chapter 1 and 2, that there is literally spiritual forces all at work around us. So I want you to go to Job chapter 1, and we are going to read through it here. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to read a lot of chapter 1. So we get a picture of who Job is. Job chapter 1 verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz, which is really a terrible place to live, I think, just because of the name. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. Now, that's a pretty good reputation. The Bible is recorded. Job was a blameless guy. We read that and we go, okay, so he's lived with integrity. There's nobody that says anything bad about him. You know that Hebrew word there is translated almost every other place. And like I think it's in the King James translates this way. It's translated perfect or morally complete. To me, that's more powerful than even blameless. And he was upright. He was righteous or he was straight. A, a, a line from here to there without any crookedness or curve. Now, we know he wasn't literally sinless because the scripture says that nobody was. But Job was the kind of guy that when people talked about him, they went, that guy, that guy never does anything wrong. He, here's what else it says. One who feared God and turned away from evil. I mean, this is like, 
moms and dads, like, this is the guy that you want your daughter to bring home, right? You know he's going he's gonna to take care of her. You know that he's not going to go too far sexually. You know that he's going to wait till marriage. You know that he's going he's gonna to follow it. Like, Job is Job's the guy that we're like, man, this is, this is who I want to be like. Then verse 2, it says this. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. So he's, man, he is a fantastic guy, loves God, he's living righteously. And if you believed in karma, and when, hey, good things come to good people and bad things come to bad people, which is Eastern thought and not biblical. But if you believed in karma, you go, well, hey, this makes sense because in Job's time, children were, uh, were symbolic of the blessing of God. So he's got this big family, 10 kids. And so, man, good guy, morally great. He's got a big family. It looks like the, the God loves him. Verse 3, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. Now, I don't know what the value of that would be, but also understand this. It's not just the value of those animals, 11,000 animals, but their value isn't just in what they're worth, but in what they can produce. Because those animals produce babies and generations. And so you go from 11,000 to 22,000 pretty quickly. Job is a wealthy man. Scripture says he had very many servants. And so here's how wealthy he is. So that this man was the greatest of all of the people of the East. Like, he's retired. He's not even doing anything. He wakes up and he's making money. Goes down. The cook has his breakfast ready. Checks his kids, see how they're how he's doing. Look, I mean, he he is living the American dream, thousand years before Christ. I mean, this this is the guy that not just believers who'd want to be like Job morally, but the people around us we work with go, man, I want to be like Job, rich, wealthy. He's, I mean, he's got everything. Verse four. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So apparently their family even gets along. That would be a dream. <laughs> Verse five. And when the days of the feast had run their course, <laughs> look at this. Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning. Like not at the end of the day. He's retired. He can sleep in. But he gets up early in the morning and offers burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He's like a fantastic parent. Like he's got it all together. But he gets up early in the morning after the feast and goes and offers burnt offerings to God on behalf of his own kids. Because he goes, not only do I I love my kids, but I want my kids to love the Lord. And just in case they've done something that offended God, God, I want to come on their behalf. And present an offering for them so that they would be right in your eyes. I mean, he lo- he's a great parent. And then look what it says at the very end. Thus Job did continually. Come on. Like, I'm already starting to not like the guy, right? I mean, like, he's a great parent. He's, he, he's, he does, he's, he's not like, hey, come back from a conference about, you know, parenting. or man, And he does real well for a week. He's doing this continually. He is everyone's dream come true. And if you did believe in karma, you'd go, well, that makes sense. He's doing the right things and therefore right things happen. But then the story gets really interesting. Here's where we move into this conversation between God and Satan. Verse six says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Don't let that throw you off. It's a Hebrew word. It, it, it's the idea is the heavenly people. So people that are not with us, not literally like Jesus and some brothers we've never heard of angels. 
Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? You ever like, have somebody prayed that hedge of protection prayer? That's a satanic prayer. I'm just kidding. He's not. Um, <laughs> some of them, what? But I mean, I mean, Satan does like say it. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So this conversation goes like this. It's really weird to me. God's like, what's up, Satan? What you been doing? Well, I've been traveling the world. I've been looking at things. And God says, well, have you, have you seen Job? Job's a stud, man. Job loves me. Job is, I mean, he's following me. He's like, he is like the best one out there. And Satan goes, well, of course he is. You've given him everything. If you took stuff away from him, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't be a big fan anymore. He might actually even follow me. And God says, okay, just don't touch him. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought you had a bad day. But the next time you come home and you're angry and having a bad day, just pick up Job chapter 1 and start in verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding behind them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. She comes and says, hey, all the oxen, the donkey, and the servants are out there all dead. The Sabians killed them all. You lost a fourth of all your wealth in one moment. While he was speaking, while this guy is talking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said so the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people. And they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He went from having everything to four servants came and said, hey, all of your wealth, all of your retirement fund, all of your family is gone and you ain't ever getting it back. And Job, Job wasn't privy to the conversation between God and Satan. Job was just in his house and the ground opened up below him. No clue that there was something happening in a spiritual world that was about to change his ever-present world. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. The tearing of the robe and the shaving of the head was signs of mourning. And here's his response. Just lost everything. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. (laughs) Pretty incredible, right? I mean, by a show of hands, how many of us would have lost everything and not charged God with any wrong? And then show of hands if you're a liar. Because, you know, we, we would. And yet Job was this kind of guy. So here's what happens next in the story. God and Satan have another conversation. And Satan's response to all of this when God goes, see, I told you, Job's a stud. Satan says, well, I mean, he still has his health. You know, yeah, he took everything, but he's, he's still got like, he can walk. He's got no problems like that. And so God says, okay, you can take that as well. So chapter two, verse seven. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Now his health is gone. And this is what his wife said. This is one of my favorite passages of Job. Then his wife said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. That that tells you where Job is. His wife, the person who knows him best, the person he's been intimate with says, I don't know why you still trust God Here's what I would suggest to you as the person who loves you and walks with you and wants to do life with you. Here's what I think your best option is. Curse God and just die. It's heavy stuff. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Man! Like that, this guy is incredible. And we get a lot from Job. We can see a lot from his character and and challenge us to be a man of God. Somebody who God would say is blameless and unbright. And that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day. But what I want us to think about this week as we're with our kids and as we're walking to work and driving to work and walking through our neighborhoods or whatever, is, is it possible that there is something happening in the spiritual realm Similar, hopefully not similar to Job's, but something going on around you that could affect you, could affect your marriage, could affect your kids, could affect your work, that you are blissfully unprepared for and unaware of. Because what I want to say to you is it is happening. Not just Job giving us a picture of the spiritual world, but scripture all throughout the Bible talks about things. If you go to the New Testament, you can read, and we don't, we don't see things like angels and demons as much as we do in the New Testament times, but we see people that had demonic influences that, that literally ruined their families, changed their lives. We see throughout Scripture things of angels and demons and, and how the spiritual world affects the world in which we live. And yet here in 2018, we're just kind of like, oh, that's, that's like a good Bible story, but it's happening right now to us. And I don't say this, and I'm not saying to your kids, I'm not trying to, like, scare people. I've been, been alive for 43 years, been walking with the Lord since I was 16. I, I've, I've never seen a demon that I know of. I mean, I've seen some kids that I thought might have been demon-possessed. I've never seen a demon or an angel that I know of. Like, I've had some crazy things happen. I mean, I've had people call and go, hey, can you come and perform an exorcism at our house? I was like, well, I'm I think that's the Catholic church role. I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm the Baptist guy. We, I, we never got training on exorcisms. Um, 
gone to the, went to the house, prayed over, didn't see anything really. But I've heard stories that people have told throughout the years, people that I trust, that do make me go, oh, wow. There's some really crazy spiritual type things that are happening out there. But I'm not trying to scare you because I'm not, I'm not wanting people to go home and go like, oh my gosh, we've got to start like praying demons out of our house and, you know, things like that. That's, that's not the purpose. The purpose is for us to start considering, though, that there's more to this world than what we're seeing, hearing, and feeling. So, so here's what I'm going to suggest that we do. Because we want to do some takeaway. We want practice this at home. We want you to do this as, as a discipline. And, and the first thing is this. They'll, they'll come up on the screen. Is that we start praying in light of spiritual warfare. We start talking to God with an awareness that there are things happening around us. Let, let, me, let me give you a story. There's a, it happened in, in Holland uh, about 15 years ago in a little, small, kind of country town in Holland. Some kids were out playing in their, their playground, and they, I don't know how they dug it up, they dug up a World War II uh, artillery round. And for months, the kids at the playground played with it every day. I don't know what, I don't think you throw an artillery around back and forth. But for months, a live artillery round that they discovered. Several months go in, and I guess the parents out there, and they're like, what are y'all doing? No. You know, take that. Like all the, they detonated it. was live. They detonated it and got rid of it. And it made news because of how, how, how dangerous it was, right? I mean, like, your kids are out playing with uh, live ammunition for months. It makes news because of what could have happened. But imagine if you take the scenario one step forward, and it's not just a World War II artillery round, but you're in the middle of a war, your country and another country, and there is artillery landing all around you, and there is, on a regular basis, soldiers coming through and bullets fired and planes going overhead and dropping bombs. We would not go about our day as if it was normal. The kids come home from school. Ooh, man, just dodged some M16 fire. Hey, can I go over to Johnny's house to do some homework? Sure, yeah, take the back way because the tanks usually come down the front row. It would be, right, it'd be a, a different world because you, when you live in a war zone, you don't live like we do in Georgetown or Liberty Hill or Round Rock in 2018. You'd be much more aware. You'd be much more cautious. You'd be doing all kinds of things in light of survival. Again, not a, not a scare message. But if there's a spiritual war going on around us, why are we so oblivious to the fact that there's danger? And the solution is not, well, my kids can't go anywhere. I'm going to lock them in the room because there's a, it's, a, it's an evil culture out there. and No TV because TV's bad. And that's not the solution. But if we start praying in light of spiritual warfare, it changes the way we pray. Our, our prayers get a little less shallow. They're not so much like, God, thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that, you know, my kids get the right teacher that they want. And when they go into school and God, I pray for, you know, Aunt Bessie, those bunions, they're just tearing her feet up and she just can't get relief. And God, you know, God, if, if there's anything, if I could just get that raise, God, I promise I'd start tithing if I got the raise. Like our, our prayers would be like, Lord, my, my, my kid is going into a school today where you've called him to be a missionary. You've called them to be light in a dark place. And God, I know that because my child is walking into a school to be light in a dark place, that there is a spiritual war going on and there are things that are going to happen. The enemy is going to, is going to hate my child. God, I know that you've already said from your very mouth that the enemy, Satan, wants to steal, 
kill and destroy. And I want to start praying against that. Because I don't want the enemy to steal from my kids or from my spouse. And I don't want the enemy to kill the joy of the people around me. And I don't want the enemy to destroy me. God, I know that it's happening. I know that when my kids at school, it's happening. I know that when my husband or wife goes to work, that Satan would love nothing more than to put somebody in their path that might cause marital infidelity or might cause them to have an emotional affair. And God, I know that the enemy is at work to try to get me to start thinking that, that my resources are limited and I, have to, I can't respond to you and say yes as you want me to be generous with them because God, I only have this and, and I know that the enemy attacks me in that way. And Lord, I want to do battle. And so I'm praying, I'm praying a warrior's prayer. A spiritual war is going on. Lord, I'm going to pray like there are bullets flying and missiles launched and bombs being dropped because this is serious stuff and I'm not going to take it lightly any longer. That's a little bit different way to pray, isn't it? But that's what we have to start figuring out to do. And if nothing else, just realize this. Those kids that you love, that you're so worried about if they make the A team or the B team, which it won't even matter in seven years, that while you're worried about A team and B team, the enemy is strategizing to take them down morally and to move them as far from God as they possibly can be moved and to ruin their life. We made the A team. You're going to start praying about things that really matter. Here, here's the second thing. I encourage you to do this, especially if you're a reader. Start reading up on spiritual warfare. The Bible would be the best textbook. You, you could Google Verses about spiritual warfare. And then start, don't just take the verse, take the chapter that they're in. And maybe for the next several uh, weeks, you start reading kind of some chapters of scripture where there's some, some verses embedded about spiritual warfare and start letting the scripture change your mind about what's happening around us. If you like to read other stuff, there's some, some books C.S. Lewis wrote, I got some pictures of them, uh, The Screwtape Letters. Or there was a book back when I was in junior high, high school called Pierce, uh, This Present Darkness by Frank Pretty. It was a bestseller, so it was a pretty famous one. Now they're fictional books. This is, the, this is the true. But when I read This Present Darkness as a, as a high school kid, it was a fiction book, but it opened up my mind because it's a story about angels and demons and what's happening. And I was like, oh, man, like this stuff does happen. Again, not nonfiction. It's, but, but you might even pick some of those things up to start, especially if you're a reader, to help start you thinking about what's happening in the world that's outside of our own. Those two things are easy. One, again, but you, you guys set the discipline. You start changing the way you pray. You can't just hear me right now and go, yeah, I'm going to start doing that. It's going to take some practice because it's going to be a different way of praying. You're going to start uh, really contemplating what's happening in the spiritual world around you. If you want to pick up some books, it's easy to do, but it takes some time to read. Here's something that every one of us can do. The third thing. It's not so much spiritual warfare and about the spiritual life, but it's going to help us. I want to ask you and your kids to read two chapters of Job a day until you finish the book. You'll finish before we finish this series. We're only hit some highlights. Chapters one and two kind of set the stage. The story ends at the very end, and we're going to get to that. I love that. The, the most of the chapters is Job trying to walk through and talk with friends and trying to figure out what's going on in his life as he suffers. But I think every one of us can do that. So you may have to go home today and uh, kind of line out for your kids. Hey, we're going to read Job chapter one and two, Job three and four tomorrow, Job five and six. And then do some things along the way as a parent that just says, hey, um, at dinner or group text, something like that, hey, after you read these two chapters, tell me what stood out most to you. What did Job say or what conversation happened that, that you saw most? And then here would be a great thing you can do too is practicing over the course of this 
month. And we're going to talk about suffering in, in the next couple of weeks. But even asking your kids, have you seen God at work today? There's some things that you think happened today that you think might fall into the realm of spiritual warfare. And when you start asking those questions and getting your teenagers to contemplate and think through that, it'll help them to start thinking outside of what I see here and touch and the spiritual world around them. Make sense? Easy things that we can do. Reading a couple chapters every day. Changing the way we pray and being intentional about it. If you've got some more time, reading some extra books and stuff like that. There's a story of a little girl. She was six. Her name was Hillary Russell. Lived in Miami. Had young parents. And they had a, had a dog that wrestled, that had fleas. And they tried everything. Powders. They tried uh, those collars. They did everything. Couldn't get rid of these fleas. And they were talking to some friends about it. And some friends said, well, you know what worked for us? Uh, we, we got rid of fleas for us. We took the dogs down to, our dogs down to the beach. And when they get in the salt water and stuff, I don't know if this is true or not. I don't have dogs. But the story was they go down the beach and that salt water helped get rid of the fleas. So they Loaded up Hillary, loaded up the dog, went down to a kind of remote part of uh, the beach outside of Miami where there wasn't a lot of people and uh, getting the dog out. And the little girl grew up in Florida, loves to swim, been in the ocean. She's six years old. She heads out, runs out to the ocean, jumps in and gets caught up in a riptide. And so all of a sudden now, the moment we're thinking about dog and fleas, now everything changes and shifts in the minds of mom and dad as we're trying to, to save the life of our six-year-old who can't get to shore and mom and dad aren't strong enough to get out into the current to... To save the kid. The girl tells a story. And the mom and dad corroborate it. That she looks up. There's a man about 30 years old or so. In the water. She described him as a, a tan guy. And this is, this is what she said. The hair on his arm glistened. Even though it was overcast. And the sun wasn't out. And he strode through the water. Like it was no big deal. Grabbed her. Took her up. Threw the riptide up. Hand her to her parents. They're crying. They've got her. They're hugging. They turn around to thank him and he's gone. They say, we know that it was an angel. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I've heard stories that are equally as memorable and powerful from people who I know and trust. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But you know what we do know? There are angels. And the scripture says that sometimes we come in contact with them and don't even know that we did. And there are demons. And there is a God and there is a devil. And the spiritual realm that they are acting in now is affecting you and I. Let's be aware of that. Let's pray 